are listening to Fanholes, a podcast for fans by the fans. Secret Brothers. I have clinical. You guys are like wasting my time right now. Hey, baby. What's going on? This is my microphone voice. <laughs> Where do you buy those at? I need one. Yeah, I don't know what the fuck is going on. I didn't invent honorable mentions, mister. <laughs> I have a headset. It looks way cool. You should all be jealous. I, uh, we are. I'm with Mike on that one. I'm a woman! <laughs> it is our show. It's called Fan Holes, not, you know, what you guys want. <laughs> <laughs> We do a podcast? What the fuck? I am the anti-monitor. I am the beginning of the end of the DC universe. In the meantime, while I construct my machinations to destroy every reality, I enjoy listening to the podcast created by the fan holes. It's a pop culture podcast created by the fans and for the fans. So enjoy it while your reality crumbles before you. Hey guys, welcome back to another exciting episode of the Fan Holes Podcast. Tonight we're doing something a little different. We're going to be doing a new segment on the Fan Holes Podcast. And what I decided to call it, uh, with agreement from all the other fan holes, is page by page. And what we're kind of doing is taking a look at some comics from DC Comics some pretty uh, monumental uh, comic book works and just kind of going through each section. And it's kind of inspired by Rob Kelly and uh, the Irredeemable Shag's uh, Who's Who podcast, which I've enjoyed listening to a lot. And I just thought it might be kind of fun to uh, look at the history of the DC Universe, which is a two-issue uh, miniseries. And just a little background on it, the original miniseries was done by Marv Wolfman and George Perez. And I guess originally the idea was that Crisis on Infinite Earths would be 10 issues. It'd be a 10-issue maxi-series, and then, like, I guess the 11th and 12th issues would be this these two books, which are kind of like the new Bible of the, you know, merged DC universe after all the, you know, the whole multiverse kind of collapsed into a single solid universe. And that would sort of, you know, this book uh, that we're looking at tonight would kind of be the go-to book, the Bible, you know, if you will, of, of what happened in the DC universe at that point, which I think uh, is what, uh, you know, maybe a lot of fans would like, you know, maybe in the New 52 or, you know, anytime somebody reboots a universe where there are questions that are sort of unanswered, you know, it's kind of an easy go-to book to go, oh, yeah, this is this is where Superman was introduced and, you know, this is this is how Batman came to be in, in, in the chronology of things. But yeah, so I'm Derek WC, Derek Crabb, I'm your host for tonight, and I am joined tonight by two very special fan holes. Why don't you sound off, guys? We're special. I'm Mike. I'm Tony Chanklaw, and I'm looking for lots and lots and lots of pie face references. 
Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I don't know. I don't, I don't think we, we get into pie face in this issue. Damn. But, uh, but, but, you know, because he's Silver Age, so we got to wait till the second issue. But, yeah, so we got, um, we got History of the DC Universe. And so, yeah, we kind of gave you some background on it. You know, the hope is, of course, that you don't need to have the actual issue in your hand to follow along with the podcast. You know, you could just listen to us and enjoy yourself. But um, if you want, if you have your own copy, you know, you can go ahead and follow along with us. Or, you know, this is not something that's like super hard to find or come across or anything like that. I mean, it's a, there's a trade paperback on Amazon. The cover is going to be a little different maybe than what we're talking about because, you know, it's some fruity Alex Ross, like, I don't think uh, Spider-Man talks because I watched Electric Company Alex Ross cover, but you know it's it's like ten bucks on Amazon, like and the interiors are still George Perez and Marv Wolfman and everything like that. So yeah, so hopefully you know either you enjoy following along without the pretty pictures, or you know if you want to you know follow along with your own copy, feel free. But yeah, this is the first issue of uh, History of the DC Universe, and I guess uh, you know what what we'll notice is that on the cover of uh, the first issue, and this is carried over into the second issue, you can see the logo, the words, History of the DC Universe, and it has this very cool design where there are pictures within the letters of the title. So, for example, you know, the letter H has a uh, picture of Darkseid, and the letter I has a picture of Uncle Sam, you know, judging me, Uncle Sam! That, that, you know, <laughs> you've got S, you've got Gorilla City, you know, T has uh, Superman's uh, Kryptonian spacecraft, O has Amazing Man, R has Etrigan the um, Demon, and uh, Y has, like, the Green Flame from, you know, Green Lantern's, um, what do you call it, Star Heart or whatever that landed or something like that. And, uh, you know, anyway, it goes on and on and on, and you see other guys like Jonah Hex and Hawkman and so on and so forth. I guess one thing that's interesting is I'm actually looking at my hardcover copy of this, and it's an old hardcover copy that I guess was probably made by, like, graffiti designs, I want to say, I think. But um, I've actually got a fold-out. It's got, like, a forward and some introductions and stuff that you guys probably don't have. So I was just going to forward over to uh, to Mike and Tony. But, like, this is a pull-out poster, this link I just sent you, where it's um, it's got, like, all the different characters, but they're actually drawn by their, I guess, most famous artists. So, like, for instance, like, the picture of Darkseid in the, the pull-out, fold-out cover, you know, is done by Jack Kirby or whatever. And then, you know, he signs that. And then it's like Batman and Robin are done by Bob Kane or whoever he, you know, I don't know, snowed to draw for him that day or whatever, you know, like things like that. So, you know, you've got all these different, you know, fam- you know, like Dave Gibbons did the, the little Rorschach on the uh, right-hand side, which is interesting because Watchmen really isn't in this book at all. But, you know, it's just things to, to note and take interest in and everything. Anyway, it's a cool cool little spread. I don't know if there's any comments you guys have on the spread that I just sent you or anything like that. Is that Amethyst with Robin there? Or? Yes, yes, it is she Amethyst. Looks, she looks really into him. Chicks dig the car. Yeah, she seems to like the Robin, man. Robin, Robin, you know, when he's not uh, hanging out with Starfire. You know? So, Tony, speaking of Pie Face, we won't get to Pie Face, but I want you to take a look at Chop Chop, who's right below Blackhawk. Like there you go. That's that's as, about as pie face as, as you're gonna get in this uh, first issue, which uh, yeah, Chop Chop looks pretty ridiculous. But uh, hey, whatever. <laughs> we do what we can, right? Yeah. So I guess you know it, it is a text 
book, you know, basically where, you know, George Perez does all the illustrations and everything, but it's kind of like, it's kind of like a, uh, an advanced children's book, if you will, you know, this Bible, I guess, you know, and basically, uh, you see that it's being narrated and you see the hand that's like, you know, basically referred to as the presence, you know, in the DC universe. But I guess, you know, like somebody like Mike might know it better from, um, like that episode of JLU, the once and future thing, you know, where yeah. the the hand and everything, that, that's basically this hand and stuff like that. I mean, for me, like, I always kind of like want to say, like, since Marv Wolfman wrote Crisis and he wrote this history of the DC universe and everything, there's uh, when when he reinvented Brainiac or whatever in, in that storyline where, you know, he had the superpowers look, uh, there was always this character that they referred to or Brainiac referred to as the master planner. And he always thought that that was some kind of idealistic, I guess, superior force in the universe or whatever. So like what I always took it as is it's like a robot freaking out because he touched God or something. So like Brainiac is like, oh shit, like there he's is. Gonna, he's going to feel really embarrassed when he realizes it's just Dr. Octopus. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Exactly. Exactly. But um, anyway, like that, that was the connection I always made with, uh, with the presence or whatever. The Green Lanterns have a legend. No one can see the beginning of time. It's a universal law. Write him a ticket. In the text, it kind of leads you into who the narrator is. And the narrator is actually Harbinger, who, uh, you know, is the, the monitor's kind of right-hand gal in the Crisis on Infinite Earths. And Harbinger's kind of, you know, basically chronicling the entire history of the DC universe. So she's basically taking all the notes for us and lining things up sort of in chronological order. So if you're kind of wondering like, hey, you know, the multiverse just got wiped out. Like, how does this new universe work? Well, you know, Harbinger's here to sort of, you know, show you how that works, how the JSA, you know, predates, you know, Batman or Superman or, you know, however things work in this kind of new universe or whatever. And she's also apparently um, playing a Wii U. Yes. <laughs> so, yeah, I guess, I guess, yeah. So on the, like the second page here, you know, it basically details, you know, as some people might say, what's the origin? Like, where did it all start? Well, it started with the Big Bang and everything. So they actually chronicle, you know, the beginning of the universe and how there were all these worlds and everything. And then, you know, I guess basically in DC, you know, the, the most, uh, I guess, critical moment for, say, Crisis on Infinite Earths, and then, of course, if you're a Green Lantern fan, it's also pretty crucial, is, you know, when Krona, who is, you know, kind of one of the more ancient, you know, Owens, you know, who were the guardians of the universe eventually, and formed the Green Lantern Corps, you know, he basically, you know, I, I guess in the original version of the multiverse, it's like he basically, you know, discovered, you know, the, the, the multiverse, you know, in Crisis, like, Krona appeared through time and discovered the multiverse. But in the sort of retroactive version of, you know, DC history, this is just one universe. So it's kind of like he's just witnessing the dawn of time. And so they're trying to let you know, hey, you know, this Green Lantern story still happened. He still did something forbidden. But it was him witnessing the beginning of the universe, witnessing the presence of the hand, and, and all this kind of stuff. I, I, I just like the the uh, one little panel. It's not even a panel. It's kind of an insert of white. I just like, and in that instant, he saw it, and the universe exploded. <laughs> yeah, basically. So I, I liked how in uh, JLA versus Avengers, they kind of pitted Krona against Galactus, who also is kind of like like the last survivor of the previous universe, sort of. Right, right. 
So they, they have a lot in common and everything. Congratulations. You have doomed your work. I guess then now it's like a two-page spread where Harbinger continues to narrate everything. And so they're basically setting up the fact that there is, you know, a positive matter universe and an antimatter universe, which also, you know, ties into crisis. And, you know, basically the also the idea of it, it really does tie into a lot of Green Lantern history because, you know, the antimatter universe is Quard. And Quard is basically where Sinestro gets his yellow ring from and all this other stuff. So there's like lots of... Uh, you know, Green Lantern backstory and everything. And this page is basically the trials and tribulations of the Guardians of the Universe. You know, it's like, oh, we're, we're going to try to, you know, create some, some warriors to protect the universe. And then they become, you know, alien lizards and, you know, and or they become like the failed manhunters, which I'm sure if you watch Green Lantern or JLU or any kind of animated shows, you're pretty familiar with. You know, they've got the android soldiers that were, designed to, you know, robotically police the universe, and then, of course, you know, they all went fucking nuts, and they had to make the Green Lantern Corps. And if you ever uh, want to, like, shit your pants, fan holes, uh, listeners, look at the friggin' panel with the damn Manhunters carrying Green Lantern power batteries. That's just terrifying. <laughs> yeah, it is a really, like, yeah, like, chilling image, almost. Basically, that's that's how they were designed and powered. And I like the on the upper right hand corner, like the other alien standing over the other alien. Clearly, like that guy's like his expression. He's kind of like, oh wow, murder! Like, it's like <laughs> yeah, he discovered he's, murder. He's, he's overjoyed that he. Well, you know, the the other guy probably told him that Cyclonus only had one fist hole, <laughs> and he decided to. <laughs> Cave his head in or whatever. But yeah, basically, I guess that's supposed to be a representation of evil in the universe. And so that's, you know... It's like, you I know, just invented one... this awesome thing. I'm going to call it murder. <laughs> also, there's a special guest appearance by Kurtwood Smith as a guardian on this page. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. The reason that bad things happen to you is because you're a dumbass. So yeah, they, they basically uh, sort of also... Uh, you know, briefly chronicled the the divergence between the Guardians and the Controllers. So the Controllers were uh, characters that would show up mostly, I guess, in, like, Legion of Superhero comics and stuff like that. Uh, if you watched um, the Legion of Superheroes TV series, um, they're actually, like, one of the final fights between, like, Superboy and, and the Big Bad was, was a Controller. So, um, so uh, hopefully that... I don't know if that clears up anything for anybody, but who these guys are. But the Owens are kind of like short and blue skinned and have their little red robes. But the controllers, you know, they're kind of pink skinned and, you know, they kind of have the glowing yellow amulet and, and the yellow light in their forehead and all that kind and of stuff. And look a little bit like Satan. Yeah, yeah, they do. They, they, they look malevolent, which is kind of what was always their intention. They're kind of the evil version of the Guardians, you know. Yeah. Um, you know, they, they, they go about things differently from the Guardians. The Controllers are the ones who created the Dark Stars, if anybody's ever read that comic series. I'm sure Tony's familiar with it. That was some 90s stuff there. Donna Troy was a yeah. Dark Star. Just letting you know. Yes, 
Yep. So the, the controllers are responsible for Dark Star shenanigans, or you know, '90s DC editors, whatever you're. I feel pick. like like I. It seems like almost every time like I the Guardians like I see the Guardians in a story, it's like they're always up to some like dicey shit. So is there like a story where the controllers are like good guys, like unexpectedly or something? Uh, I mean. I, it depends on, like, I think what your point of view is. Like, if you read Dark Stars, you know, they're just basically the guardians of that book, I suppose. I, I think in the Legion stories, they were much more malevolent. You know, they were more, like, straight-up kind of bad guys or whatever. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I always kind of think of the guardians as, like, Professor X, where yeah, they, was they don't say, get a yeah. fair... You know? Yeah, because like, Dark like, Stars were, like, they were good guys. They just got their powers from a questionable source. Yeah. I was going to say, yeah, don't the Guardians, like, suffer from, like, Professor X, like, retcon, he's a bastard, like, syndrome? Yeah, yeah, that's that's what I always feel like. It's always like, there's a deep, dark secret you didn't know, that they're all assholes, you know? It's like sometimes with Professor X, it wasn't even a deep, dark secret or anything, you know? And sometimes with certain Guardians, you'd be like, man, why are you giving Hal Jordan all this shit, you know? Yeah, it's like... Al Jordan, we picked you to be Green Lantern of your sector because you're the most courageous man we have ever met. Now quit fucking up. What? What? <laughs> so I guess we'll 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 keep moving on yeah. to the the next page or whatever. Now uh, you basically have a chronicling of like one of the main characters in Crisis on Infinite Earths, who is Pariah. And so Pariah's whole deal was again kind of like Krona. He sort of duplicated. Krona's mistakes, you know, where he, he thought like, oh, great, you know, I've got the solution. Like, I'll make this little cube and like we won't get hurt and we'll still be able to see the dawn of time. But the problem is, you know, he fucked up like everybody else died but him in the little cube. And so he basically in the original story, he he sort of got ported from universe to universe to universe or whatever. Seeing horrible uh, things all the time. Yeah. And, yeah. yeah. And so, you know, I guess I guess the, the the way the history is tweaked, it's like you sort of have to ignore all the multiverse stuff in regards to his placement in this, that he duplicated the experiment. He, you know, and, and they even refer to the multiverse in here. He says, you know, you have to sort of acknowledge the multiverse, even though this totally abandons it or whatever. Yeah, and I, uh, I understand that, like, you know, it's comics and you have to have, like, cool names and stuff, but if your scientist's name is Pariah, that's like, you know, here's our top employee, <laughs> murder death plague. <laughs> <laughs> Just always seemed kind of funny, but, yeah. I understand yeah. comics. That is a very cool panel at the bottom where he's, like, shot out of the multiverse. That's really cool. Yeah. This is great, like, wonderful George Perez art. I mean, there's I, I can't say enough good things about George Perez. I mean, I've always really appreciated his artwork. I mean, he's the master of, you know, super detail and also just doing those cool superhero shots where there's tons and tons and tons of guys, which I'm sure we'll we'll get to one of those pages here before we end the uh, and, first issue. And the best thing of all is you can actually pick out all the damn heroes. You're not like, who is that? Yeah. Yes. Yeah, he's yes. great at like group shots and stuff. Yeah. So um, I guess this is uh, will be a shout out to anybody who's a listener that is a fan of um, Sandman. I guess because this is an old school character from DC Comics, which was appropriated by Neil Gaiman in his uh, Sandman book, which I, I have not read the entire run of Sandman. So I guess that makes me a bad comic book fan or something, but I haven't. I've only read a couple trades. Um, but yeah, this is uh, Destiny, so, you know, and he's just hanging out, you know, kind of the more traditional classic 
destiny of the DC universe. Yeah, not, you know? not quite so emo, yeah. Yeah. So he's got his chain, and he's you got the book of you know basically the universe you know <laughs> that he's uh, perusing as uh, as Pariah you know flies around. And the next page, and then we of have course, a picture of Din from Heavy Metal. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Well, you know, this is this is basically, uh, you know, if, if if you've seen various uh, DC, you know, animated features and different things like that, you'll you'll be familiar with some of these characters. Oh, yeah, but yeah. basically, it's it's sort of compressing the whole idea of uh, you know you've got. Vandal Savage and the Immortal Man and, you know, basically the meteor that fell to Earth during, you know, Cro-Magnon, Caveman times and all that kind of stuff. And so, you know, you've got Vandal Savage, you know, getting the, I guess, super intelligence, you know, from the meteor fall. And then, of course, the Immortal Man, his power that he gained from that is that, you know, he can never die. Um, and then And then it goes on to basically chronicle some of the other caveman type characters yeah, like you've got anthro yeah. you know who's you know i i love you know what's funny is I, I i guess the one good thing that came out of final crisis was that it made me go down and track uh there's only like seven issues of anthro but that was a good read like i really enjoyed the hell out of that so that's my that's my plug for anthro like i mean you might be going caveman what but i thought it was really cool and and the fact that he was heavily featured in, or at least, you know, he, he, he played somewhat of a prominent role in Morrison's Final Crisis, which I think is kind of crazy. Just led me to, to read more of that kind of stuff. And, of course, Anthro was pretty heavily featured in the original Crisis because there was all that kind of time travel shenanigans where, you know, Neanderthals and 30th century science police and all kinds of stuff are, like, conflicting and, you know, merging in, you know, like Metropolis or something, you know, where they're all kind of coming to the same spot and stuff. And then you've got also a, a page for Kong the Untamed. So it's like all these kind of different, sorry, caveman-like characters. Yeah. So then I guess we can move on to uh, the next two pages or whatever. Um, I guess are, this is... fucking beautiful. Yeah, yeah, they're great. They are. They're really awesome. This is This is more... Uh, sword and sorcery type stuff, I would say. I mean, this is and and this is funny because I think it's a Ryan is how you pronounce his name because it's kind of confusing. But um, he, he, basically, that was kind of the backstory for Atlantis, like a million billion years ago. You know, obviously we're dealing with like you know caveman times, and then early. You know, this is the first ancient society ever, so it's basically Atlantis before it went underwater. You know, yeah. which is what. Orion's whole story is and stuff like that. I don't know. You know, you know what I was going to say to you, Mike, is I don't know if you've ever read this or not, but uh, I, I know me and Justin may have mentioned it a couple times, but they kind of make Orion a, um, you know, a magic-based supervillain for Superman in uh, Kurt Busiek's run on Action Comics. And that was actually, like, a, a run that I actually enjoyed, you know, as opposed to, like, you know, some sometimes I complain about stuff, you know. <laughs> Just a little bit, no, you know. I but but that was that. was that Satana? Or? No, there was um, like two. It, I remember there was like Satana and Silver Banshee. They were two, both magically based. Yeah, yeah, like like uh, they they had stuff like Satana and Blaze and all that other stuff. But this was much later, probably when you weren't uh, reading comics too much, Tony. It was it was probably like you know uh, a recent you know new millennium 
storyline, oh, you know, okay. where Kurt, Kurt, Kurt Busiek actually took over writing action comics for like a maybe like a year and a half or something like that. And so he had a pretty long run, and then it finished off with like a big giant sized annual and everything. But it was it was a you know it was a good story. I you know I, I like the idea that Superman was fighting like a magic based like obviously this guy is is like a king mage, you know? Yeah. So it's like, it wasn't like Superman was just like, oh, I'm dead, you know, like, because you got magic, like most people, you know, think. But it, it presented a really good challenge for him, and I enjoyed reading it. And I guess this kind of details how eventually, you know, Atlantis sunk. And so they're kind of detailing how there's, you know, two twin cities, which kind of leads into the whole idea of Aquaman's backstory, or even Laurie Lamaris, you know, speaking of Superman, you know, you've got Tritonus and uh, Poseidonus. So Poseidonus is Aquaman's city, which is sometimes just called straight up Atlantis. And then you've got Tritonus, which is also sometimes straight up called Atlantis, you know, depending on what old DC stories you read. So this is kind of how they reconcile that. They, they both come from Atlantis, but they're twin cities. Oh, Kind of like Denver. Um, <laughs> yes. We're on the next page, which has got a huge spoiler, but I will let Derek spoil you guys. No, no, no. Go for it, Tony. Spoil um, away. Uh, it's just a picture of a blue beetle. Okay, actually, it's the blue scarab, which actually comes to be very important later on in the DC Universe because I'm a big blue beetle fanboy. So. Yeah, yeah. So you, you, you've got a lot of Egyptian stuff going on right now. Like I said, a big blue beetle fanboy, and there's also another big hero that I know... Uh, well, not really a hero, um, that uh, Derek would probably like to uh, reference who's on this page. Well, it's dealing with all, I guess, the Egyptian era now. We're talking about the, you know, the planet Earth and Egypt and all that kind of stuff. So, yeah, you've got, you've got the scarab, which happened to land in Egypt, which is where, why can't I think of his name now? Um, I'm liking, yeah, well, not Ted Kord, uh, uh, who was the first Blue Beetle oh, again? Yeah. Uh, whatever his name was. Oh, Dan uh, Garrett? Yeah, Dan Garrett. Dan Dan Garrett. See, how Thank did you, I Mike. know that and you not know that? What the? Because you're you're the man, dude. You're awesome. <laughs> Dan Garrett uh, discovered the, the the scarab in Egypt, and then um, and then what Tony was referring to was, of course, uh, you know, Keth Adam, which you know basically leads you into uh, you know the whole Shazam type universe and Black Adam and everything. So they kind of go into, you know, basically they're chronicling, hey, you know, these are two things that happened in that time period. You could have hurt that man. Uh, Black Adam does as he pleases. Also kind of dealing with Egypt on the following page, but it's not really done with images. It's just you kind of see an image of Harbinger jotting more text down in her Wii U or whatever <laughs> Tony said it was. But, um... You know, uh, they're they're talking about uh, you know Doctor Fate backstory. You know, you talking about the Lords of Order and the Lords of Chaos and Naboo and you know the Amulet of Anubis and all this kind of stuff. So you know, you basically got all these kind of I guess Egyptian gods and 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 deities and beings of great power that obviously here are clearly in existence. Like there's no you know then the atheism end, or, or question in... that they exist. Yeah, and then in the end, it sneaks in Krypton. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, it also it, it talks about uh, Rayo, you know, the the Kryptonian god. So that that's why I think the image here is an image of Krypton, and you see the red sun off to the left hand side. And so uh, I guess we'll we'll open to the next page, which is also again super super awesome. You know, when, whenever I had um, this is this is a picture of uh, basically like the history of uh, you know 
the Greek gods. Like, if, if you've seen Wrath of the Titans remake and all this other crap that they've been out, this is what this is. Like, it, it details, you know, the Titans and how, you know, the, the Greek gods, you know, slayed the Titans and took over and basically all this kind of uh, chronicling of history, which is very, very important for George Perez's take on Wonder Woman post-crisis. But yeah, it's 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 super cool looking. Like whenever I was in them, whenever I was in school, and they're like, "Oh, you got to do a, a history project on the Greek gods," I'd be like, "Oh, I'm swiping all this Perez artwork. It's awesome." Like, and, and for our less uh, mature uh, listeners, yes, there's a picture of man ass on this page. Get over it. But but there is no big blue dong. It's like they're all exactly. cut up by smoke, so it's all tasteless. Yeah. But but there is a nipple and um, booby. So if you're all into that, um, you've got God nipple booby stuff as well. And then a so. cool, like, uh, God confrontation. So you can just look over that and look at the guys fighting with swords and lightning. Yeah, yeah. So there's, there's, you know, there's a lot of cool stuff with that. And then we'll turn to the following page and, you know, what, what comes after the old gods but the new gods. So we've got some reference to uh, some great Jack Kirby goodness. We've got High Father and Dark Side on opposing sides of the text. So you see uh, New Genesis and Supertown on one side with High Father's image and the city, you know, Supertown, of course, floating in the air. And then you've got Apocalypse with its fire pits and uh, Dark Side. So, and again, I, and, I know we've said this a hundred times already in this book, but... God damn! Can George Press just not draw an awesome dark side? Yeah, it's 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 really cool. It really is great. I don't think it's possible to not draw an awesome apocalypse though. Like, oh yeah, like, that's a cool looking planet. <laughs> it's just such a great yeah. setting. Like yeah. this planet with these giant furnaces spewing and belching fire and shit. Yeah, it's really cool. But yeah, and also just a little Easter egg: the picture of Dark Side is also the one used on the cover in the giant H. Yes, yes, it is the picture of Dark Side staring you down. Where in God's name are we? That depends. Which God are you talking about? Listen, buddy, I'm through with these games. I want some answers. You're going to tell me who you work for? Welcome to Apocalypse, Mr. Manheim. Who are you? Your new lord and master. You may call me Darkseid. Yeah, most of those pictures are actually taken directly from the interior artwork, just kind of, you know, compressed to fit the letter that they, they, uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, in, I don't know what word I'm thinking of, the letter they, they uh, find themselves in. <laughs> I, I'm going to give us... They, they inhabit, I guess, I don't know. I'm going to give yeah. a prude warning for all the uh, easily offended people. The next page has to do with a giant slut, so just, just you know... Calm down. Yeah, don't don't freak out. This is this is some Starfire Teen Titans, a new Teen Titans backstory here. They're they're basically detailing the origins of the Citadel and the uh, Tamaranians and stuff. And so this is kind of Starfire normally kind of just like Superman used to exclaim in the old days, you know, the old pre-crisis days, like Great Ryo, you know, like or you know, Holy Bejesus, or you know, whatever your explanation is. Exhal was was a phrase yeah. that uh, she would always kind of shout out like exhal like oh my fucking god you know basically is what it means and this actually details sort of the origin of uh, of the goddess you know so herself so they they basically kind of detail that and at the same time you know they've got the scions who were those lizards <laughs> that 
uh, that the Guardians accidentally experimented on and did notorious Professor X shit to that nobody knew about till way later and all that kind of stuff. And uh, the Akarans, of course, are slavers. They're they're the blue guys um, off to the left there. They basically, you know, enslaved uh, Starfire and like you know people of her race and all that kind of stuff. So they're they're kind of setting up like, oh, this is what's you know going on in the universe. You know, pre. You know, I guess it's not just about Earth, y'all. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There, there are other things going down. So uh, then, I guess we're moving on here. Um, and uh, on this page, we've got a pretty awesome uh, scene. Uh, it's a double-page spread. This is all about the Wonder Woman. Well, at least the backstory here is it, it basically has uh, Heracles or Hercules or whatever, and you've got Hippolyta who is, you know, queen of the Amazons, which is interesting here because technically, I guess, her hair should be colored black. Yeah, she's given blonde, that it's yeah. Given that it's post-crisis. But since maybe they were still dealing with some pre-crisis color palettes, you know, pre-crisis, Hippolyta's hair was blonde on oh, Earth cool. 1, as far as I know. So that's probably why. But... You know, basically, this is this is the big backstory that that Perez kind of introduced into uh, Wonder Woman, and then you'll have countless, endless debates between fans of, you know, did Hercules, you know, rape uh, Hippolyta? Is Hercules the father of Wonder Woman and stuff like that? Which is kind of interesting now because in the New Fifty Two, they basically straight out said that Zeus is Wonder Woman's father. So, you know, it's. it's 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 an interesting debate, you know, it's an interesting topic. But yeah, it, basically you've got the Amazons on one side and, you know, Hercules and his army on the other side. And the whole basic concept of the idea is, and, and, and this isn't anything like Perez invented. I mean, it was always part of Wonder Woman's backstory that, you know, Hippolyta and, and, and uh, Hercules had this kind of skirmish and confrontation in the past, but he kind of made it like a really big to do. I don't know, like a big to do, an essential part of her her story in the in the new version. The, the basic idea is they, they, they meet as, you know, almost combatants, and then they, they kind of supposedly come to respect each other, and then they're friends, and then he basically kind of, you know, betrays her by shackling, you know, all the Amazons. And, and so the whole idea is supposed to be... Yeah, the, the whole idea is supposed to be the reason why Wonder Woman wears those bracelets and and why all Amazon wears wear those bracelets is those are supposed to be representative of the shackles they wore when they were enslaved by Hercules and other men. You know, so that's supposed to be the you know the symbolism with that and everything. Uh, one one quick art thing I'll throw out here is like, of course, we've already talked about Georgia, but one thing I really like about this page. It actually gives kind of a uh, Prince Valiant kind of look to it. I mean, it's, yeah, it's still totally Perez, but yeah, yeah, it has that kind of Prince Valiant comic strip uh, design and stuff because it's you know more in the like medieval kind of olden times. I, I kind of like that look. That's really cool. And then, and then I guess this this goes back to something we were talking about even before the show. You know, the Prince Valiant vibe, the idea that you know these guys are obviously all wearing kind of Roman looking armor. And yet it's all colored yellow, you know, so it's like, I guess technically it is golden, you know, armor, but, yeah. you know, like comics, you know, it, it is, it does evoke that Prince Valiant kind of vibe where he's kind of got that big yellow chest piece or whatever, the chain mail and all that kind of yeah, stuff. Yeah, it's really, it's really, uh, really kind of a cool throwback thing. So I guess we'll, we'll go on to the next page and then you can see here, uh, this is another, uh, this first, I guess, I guess technically this is a two-page spread, I suppose, at least what, what, the way I'm looking at it. But at the top, we've got 
Alan Scott's Green Lantern, which is the, you know, the Green Lantern from the Justice Society. And this is basically chronicling, you know, what would later become known, or maybe it was already retroactively known as the Starheart by this point. But basically, you know, the Starheart, that, you know, chunk of, you know, I guess, you know, Green Lantern energy or Guardian energy or whatever crashes in China or Tibet, I guess it says. So they're basically just talking about, you know, how eventually a new hero would come to be born. But that image of the green flame is also, you know, one of the images that is in the uh, the logo in the front cover and everything. And then, of course, we were also dealing with Roman type stuff. So you've got the Golden Gladiator, who I think, I don't know, this this is going to be hard for me, but I think... He might have been like a, a Charlton character that was bought later or something. That's I don't, possible. I don't know. Yeah, I, this I, is right I, around that time. Yeah, you know, I'm I'm trying to remember exactly where all these characters come from because I'm not I'm not always super familiar with some of this stuff. And then of course, then on the following page, we're dealing with Camelot. So uh, when we're talking about Camelot, of course, you know, maybe you know. The Shining Knight, I guess, would at least be familiar to Mike from uh, Justice League Unlimited and stuff. I'm about right? to say, yeah, he was yeah. a veteran with Justice League. <laughs> yeah, so so there's there's the Shining Knight. He he basically like would play a big part in like the All Star Squadron and some of the you know more World War II type comic books where him and Vigilante would normally show up in and stuff like that. And one of my favorite characters, go ahead, Derek. Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, we're talking about Camelot, so we've also got, uh, you know, Merlin and Etrigan the Demon and everything like that. And you've got the Shining Knight and stuff. So, you know, like all these guys, like the the Kirby versions of uh, Merlin, and then he created Etrigan the Demon, you know. So you've got all those kind of... I mean, now we're kind of... We've gone from caveman times to, you know, Rome to, you know, some of the early universe stuff. And now we're like in the, you know, the medieval... You know, probably like what thirteenth century or something like that. You know, we're starting to get closer to the eighteenth and nineteenth century as we continue, you know, going through the book and everything. And we're about to do another uh, big jump too. Yeah, yeah. So, um, you know, we've got all these guys on the page here. Now, this is also like stuff that is probably stuff that I probably haven't read too much of. You know, you've got Arak, who is, uh, I, I guess, the the biggest. Uh, like he had his own book for a long time. He also has his own toy line. Yeah, that, that's what I was going to try to bring up. I guess he was part of that uh, He-Man-esque looking toy line from Remco, which included Warlord. So Arak was one of the... the um, yeah, I think they were trying to like tie Warlord and Arak together and just like, okay, you well, know Warlord, but here's Arak. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think, I, if, if I'm remembering right, I think there were like backup stories maybe in one of the other books. Like either there were warlord backup stories in Arak or something like that. Like, yeah, I think they tried to try to try to tie it together, but yeah, it was it was just, you know, like it was, it was kinda cool. It was like like, hey wow, there actually were comic book, you know, toys back then who were, you know, not just secret Yeah. Yeah, yeah, no, no. I, I remember seeing those in like like drugstores and stuff, but not actually at Toys R Us. Like I, I just always remember thinking, oh, those are the cheapo He Man's. Like they're not the really real He Man figures. They, they weren't great, but honestly, they weren't bad either. 
See, that's what's weird. Like, my memories are so corrupt because I don't think I ever actually owned one of them. Like, it makes I, me want to go out and, like, word. buy one, like, just to see what it's like, you know? I, I, let, me, let me put it this way. I guess the best way to uh, sum up the toys was, like, I bought Warlord. He had a really good sculpt. He really did. He had a cool helmet. He had the winged helmet and everything. He had a cool little, uh, he, he actually used a rapier instead of a regular, you know, big broadsword. And the thing that was really funny is that, like, with He-Man, you get, like, cloth, capes, or, you know, like, the flock fur for Mossman and stuff. Warlord had this kind of leopard print, or cheetah print, actually. It's a white cheetah print, which I don't understand. He had a white cheetah print cape, but that motherfucker was straight-up vinyl. <laughs> it was just floppy, and it, like, tore as soon as I bought him. Maybe he, like, pulled on his neck too much. It was, like, they were a little bit cheaper, but still, it was a good So it was kind of, it was kind of like a... A huge version of like Ben Kenobi's cape from like the '77 Star exactly. Wars line. Yeah, it was like vinyl. Yeah, yeah it, was like, it was pretty horrible. But I, I give him credit for trying. No, that's cool. Um, I guess I, I guess it's hard to tell. Like Perez puts so much stuff in these photos, but or, or drawings or whatever the pencils. But I mean, we clearly see Arak, and then also we've got the Vikings down at the bottom, which is chronicling like the Viking commando and Viking prince and all this kind of stuff. Who's the, who's the guy on the uh, yellow outline? I believe that is, I think, the. let me see, I think the Viking Commando is the guy behind him. I think the guy in the outline might be the Viking Prince. Okay. I'm not, I'm not. I'm like you, I'm not really actually. familiar with this era, so yeah. Yeah, it's like there's there's a lot of different characters that basically it's, you know, it's kind of going in chronological order. So even with Camelot, you know, it's like they, they talk about, you know, King Arthur and, you know, Richard the Lionheart and, you know, like some stuff happened like it did in history, you know, the Crusades, you know, and then, of course, the Crusades lead into like Robin Hood and all this other stuff. So and then you've even got the Three Musketeers and Richelieu and yeah, all this kind of stuff. Like, he, he doesn't really he doesn't really draw all this stuff. Yeah, they but mentioned it's, like Charlemagne it's, on there, too. It's like, yeah, it's, it's definitely all detailed in the text and yeah. stuff. I wasn't a very good father to you after your mother passed away. I was so lost. You never told me where you went. I found myself in a place called Nandaparbat. I met a man there. He helped me make sense of things. He helped me to find a purpose for my life. To make this city a better place for everyone This, of course, was my major jizz moment while watching the TV series Arrow. This is a, the following page on the the first half of it chronicles uh, Nandar Parabat. So that's, you know, basically that's where Batman went off to train during the whole 52 or whatever, you know. And, and it, it, I think it's, uh, you know, a big player in like you know stuff like dead man and some other you yeah. know comics if, like that if you so. like watch the shows and just the cartoons you don't really get an idea how important this place is but it is really fucking important so it was just you know when i when i heard uh you know i i guess it's spoilers if you all haven't watched arrow yet or whatever but the the moment i i heard uh malcolm merlin talk about you know nanda parabat i was just kind of like oh my god yes 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 you know, so I was all excited about that. So it's kind of like the Shaolin monks on crack. And then, of course, if Justin was here, he would be exalting the virtues of Gemworld, 
because this is where Amnethyst comes from. That's the that's the bottom half of it. So on the top half, we see Nanda Parabat, which of course is all icy and covered in you know snow and all this kind of stuff. And then on the bottom half, you know, you kind of see the other dimensional land of Gem World, where you know they've got crazy kind of Tinkerbell looking characters and stuff like that. More fantasy based. You know, Gem World. It is truly outrageous. Truly, truly outrageous. <laughs> It's truly outrageous. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So uh, I guess uh, we we, uh, get to the next page here. And now now we're starting to get to, you know, more history that maybe, you know, people might be familiar with history books. I mean, we got Christopher Columbus, you know, discovering America. And meanwhile, while all that kind of good Earth-type history uh, was going on, we got Gorilla City going on in Africa, got the you know the the manhunters basically starting up their manhunter cult which ties into you know some of the current comics in the 80s like if you read the ongoing manhunter series and stuff like that and and the idea that you know eventually they were going to do that god awful millennium crossover which basically revealed that everybody in there it was kind of like dc's version of secret invasion and i'm like come on bendis not only did you not think of it first but it was an awful crossover the first time but anyway, just replace, like, Scroll with Manhunter, and it's basically the same. And sadly, process. Harbinger was a part of that, too. Yes, yes. And so then, uh, and then of course, we got the Black Pirate. You know, so we got pirates going on and all this kind of stuff. And then I guess, you know, I guess it's a now-canceled. That, that dude kind of looks like the Swordsman. Justin will get a kick out of him. Yeah, he's even got purple. <laughs> yes, yes. He, is, he, he does kind of look a lot like the Swordsman. He's got the mustache and the, the purple outfit and everything like and that. But yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, I think I think uh, we should do a we should uh, commission a crossover with the Black Pirate and the Swordsman, and they should team up and have adventures, as Justin might say. Yeah. And then we get a little bit dark at the bottom. Yeah, I mean, this was a new Fifty Two title, I Vampire. I guess you know, I, I think the trades were selling really well. All those Twilight people were really digging the whole I Vampire thing. But the single issues weren't selling as well, I guess. I, I haven't. I, I I remember when the new Fifty Two title came out. It made me want to maybe try to read some of the early old stuff for I Vampire because he didn't really have his own title. I think it was like in like Tales of the Unexpected or you know it was one of those DC titles that was like kind of like a you know one of those anthology kind of you know it had you know some other name and stories you're not ready for <laughs> different characters you know like you know throughout its various runs and stuff like that but it uh, you know i vampire is definitely before my comic reading time and he didn't really make a lot of appearances in the 90s from what i can remember or even you know like the 80s when yeah. you and me were reading comics tony and stuff so. yeah i don't really remember him on my radar that much yeah but I mean, hey, it's a hot little vampirette he's got going there and everything. And you know, I think I, I think if I saw this, this was some, something I would pillage if uh, if I was doing a book report on like interview with a vampire for like my English lit class when I was in high school. <laughs> and then I just like draw a picture of Andrew Bennett and be like, yo, that's totally Louis or Lestat or whoever. <laughs> the original like, Brad Pitt yeah. vampire. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So that's kind of that's kind of my take on that. Now we're getting into more. 
American history, finally, I guess. You know, like, we've got pages dealing, uh, well, Captain Fear is battling the Spanish, and, you know, we got the Grim Ghost and stuff like that. But basically, uh, towards the bottom, you know, it's, it's basically, you know, the American Revolution, which, you know, you got Miss Liberty and uh, Tomahawk and Dan Hunter and stuff like that. What is the connection there? They, they did a retroactive thing that tied it into... Uh, Booster Gold somehow. I'm trying to remember what that was, but hmm. what's what's Booster Gold's? Oh, well, that's what it is. Uh, Rip Hunter is uh, Booster Gold's, you know, like son or something like that, like retroactively. And then when they went time traveling, it's like, oh yeah, let's go meet Tomahawk and shit. And then I was like, oh Dan Hunter, you know, and it's like, oh Hunter Hunter, like so that kind of ties him into, uh, you know. Rip Hunter and Booster Gold and all that stuff, but I, I don't think that was, you know, I don't think anybody who was writing, um, you know, Tomahawk or Son of Tomahawk at the time was like, oh yeah, we're totally going to tie it into Rip Hunter, but now that's something that they decided to do or whatever. And now for a lot of old-time DC fans, we're about to enter a good era of the Old West. Yeah, yeah. There's there's uh, Fire Hair, and we got uh, the, the American Civil War, which of course leads us into, you know, DC's biggest <laughs> movie star ever. I'm, I'm so sad. I'm, I'm, I'm kind of annoyed because he's riding sad. a horse, but he doesn't have giant Gatling guns on the side of it. Yeah, I yeah, didn't even, even recognize him without the Gatling so, guns on the side. I hate you people. <laughs> this is Jonah Hex. This is like one of the most awesome of DC's Western characters. He's really awesome. I don't know what to say about him other than that. I mean, Jimmy Palmiotti and Justin Gray have written like some great new comics with him in the new millennium. All the old comics from the 70s and everything are really, really good. So, you know, whether it's, uh, you know, All-Star Western or, um, you know, just his regular ongoing series and stuff like that. They're well, all, there's one they're... thing you can say. Never, ever, ever, ever watch the fucking movie. Yeah, well, or at least if you do, don't don't come to it with these preconceived notions that because that movie stunk, that this character is no good. So we've also got uh, Jonah Hex's arch rival here on a wanted poster. It's uh, El Papagayo. Um, so there's a thousand dollar reward, which back then was quite a bit of money. It probably still is quite a bit of money. You, you can buy a like thousand air. We could buy we could buy uh, uh, two Xbox Ones back in the old west with that kind of money. We just can't play with uh, each other. Yeah, yeah, because we don't have any interconnection in the old west. See <laughs> yeah. how that works? Yeah. Anyway, so yeah, okay, moving on. Uh, we we've got more uh, tons more Western DC characters. There's there's a lot of them, and I I kind of enjoy a bunch of them. Like you know Batlash, who was you know played rather well by Ben Browder on the JLU cartoon and stuff like that. Sure, uh, basically, they, they list him here as Pow Wow Smith, but that guy on the show, I guess, was PC'd up because they didn't want to call him Pow Wow, but he was like Sheriff Obadiah or something like that. Yeah. And then, um, let's see, Scalp Hunter, who was not in any of the cartoons, but he, like Eric, did have a long-running ongoing series for a long time. Um, <laughs> he looks kind of like Nightwolf from Mortal Kombat. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he does, he does. We've got the, the Trigger Twins, we got Johnny Thunder and Madam 44, and it's kind of interesting because Cinnamon also has red hair, and then Madam 44 kind of has red hair, but they're both kind of female gunslingers, I guess you'd call them, or whatever. I guess later, retroactively, uh, the idea that, uh, who, who actually, I don't know if he's on the next page or not, I'm going to sneak a look, I guess he's not, but uh, Nighthawk, and um, Cinnamon 
uh, were retroactively sort of tweaked as uh, past lives of Hawkman and Hawkgirl or whatever. So yeah, I'm just looking at a picture of El Diablo the Hunter. <laughs> like uh, Lazarus Lane is his original identity, and then he uh, basically comes back as El Diablo. They they made quite a bit of like modern versions of El Diablo, like they tried to update him. Like the most recent one is actually was in the the new Fifty Two Suicide yeah, they, Squad. I which was going to say also he had like those backup stories in the uh, uh, in the All Star yeah, Western. Yeah, All Star Western. Yeah. yeah, so I mean he's been around for you yeah, know pretty you, much since since Jonah Hex has been around at least. You know. And you 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 talk about Pawpaw Smith and like you talk about. And here is he was inspired by Super Chief, who was a member of the friggin' Justice League for a minute. Yeah, yeah. A different version, obviously, but still. <laughs> it was, yeah. It was a guy yeah, with a big yeah. bison head. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So I'm just looking at that picture of Jonah Hex like falling through the time portal. <laughs> <You're> like, shit <laughs> He should meet up with Death's head. They have they have time traveling bounty hunter in common. And um, uh, I guess uh, then this is kind of also uh, leading you into, uh, which is the the infamous uh, Hex ongoing series, which is where they basically decided to transplant, uh, you know, Western character Jonah Hex into like the far flung Mad Max type future. And he kind of looked like he had a, a weird Mad Max jumpsuit and everything. But this kind of basically, you know, kind of chronicles like, oh, in 1875, that's when Jonah Hex went bumping through time. So if he looks at Booster Gold like he's a weird motherfucker, well, obviously it's not 1875 yet. You know what I mean? Just, like, I was just saying to Tony, it's a, like Jonah Hex didn't like even encounter like Death's Head, like time-traveling bounty hunters. Like they should have like crossed each other in the time stream and been like, yo, what's up? <laughs> They'd be like, yo, dude, what's up? What's going on? D- dare I say, for the future? <laughs> he's like, he's like, Bounty Hunter, yes. Yeah, you're saying he's got to have a British accent, probably. Yeah. yeah, I always, I always, whenever, whenever I think of Death's Head, I always think of the guy from Clockwork Orange, where he's like doing a bit of nastiness, Alex boy. Yes. You know, that's how I always think of uh, Death's Head talking. Yeah, that's yeah. what I told Mike. He, he wouldn't have a, a deep voice. He wouldn't be like you know all menacing. He would just be kind of, I don't know, slightly annoying, but also very sinister. <laughs> So I guess and on this, this next page, it is a double-page spread, and now we're officially in World War II, or World War II, sorry. Jumping the gun, guys. We're in World War One. Sorry. Um, but, uh, yeah, we're in World War One, and then it's kind of a callback because remember before the cavemen, you know, that got powered by the meteorite, and the one guy is the immortal man, and the other one is Vandal Savage. So, of course, on the left-hand side, you've got the immortal man, of course, you know, fighting with kind of like the allied, you know, good guy troops of World War One, And then, of course, you got Vandal Savage, who is fighting with all the fascists and so on and so forth. So, And then, of course, you've also got, you know, Enemy Ace. And then, then you got the Balloon Buster, which is kind of cool. I like how, like, uh, Enemy Ace is like, I was pipping this look before Wolverine was even fucking cool. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Enemy Ace is pretty damn cool. Enemy Ace is like a, a Kubert. Actually, both these guys, uh, I think Balloon Buster 2, are both like Joe Kubert designed and created characters and stuff like that. So even the actual, I mean, I, I know uh, Perez makes them look pretty hardcore, but I think they always kind of had that gritty <sighs> kind of real world vibe that, that you know, the Kubert would bring to it. And, so. and, and a random plug, just for no reason, 
if you guys really like Enemy Ace, how he looks in this comic, he actually got a DC Direct figure, so you can buy that. You can. You can. Now, now I guess we're getting into close to what is almost super familiar, you know, DC territory to the mass public here. We've got a page that is chronicling the Church of Brother Blood, which, of course, is, you know, more New Teen Titans backstory. You know, Brother <laughs> Blood was one of their big bads, you know, in the New Teen Titans. And given that, you know, this is a series by Wolfman and Perez, you know, they definitely, yeah, you yeah. know, they, they do not abandon the popularity or the, you know, the kind of appeal that New Teen Titans brought them. So th- those are definitely always included. Again, great fucking disturbing artwork. Great stuff. Yeah, yeah like Brother Blood is, is kind of rising through a pit of molten kind of blood, you know, and everything like that. And then, uh, I guess, uh, on the follow-up page, we've got... Good, th- good uh, thing his name wasn't, like, Brother Urine or something. <laughs> right. Brother... Fecal matter. <laughs> I was trying to think of something red, you know, something that was... I, I was like, Brother, Brother Cherry. <laughs> Brother Limeberry Blast Kool-Aid. <laughs> Brother <Exactly>. Tomato Soup. <laughs> Brother, Brother Steamy Tomato Soup. You know, yeah, exactly. Doesn't have the same ring to it, right? I, I don't know what they would have done, though. Like, they probably could have never gotten away with having him on any of the Teen Titans cartoons, right? They would have to call him, like, like Brother Prick Your Finger or something. I don't know what. But... Didn't they have him? I thought they had, like, he was, like, there was a whole, like, season. There, there was Brother Blood. I don't know if he was called Brother Blood, though. Did they call him Brother Blood, though? They didn't I call think so. Blood. I swear they did, but like he had nothing yeah. to do with blood. Like basically. yeah, he was just he was just evil. Me. He ran he that just... like Hive Academy, like in Cyborg. Yeah, 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 yeah. But, but like he didn't. Yeah, okay. Yeah, so. it was that whole arc where Cyborg joined the Hive, and he was like, "Oh, I kind of want to join because Jinx is cute." Yeah. Guess that makes you a lousy teacher, or perhaps I just need to give you a crash course. It wasn't. It wasn't this. He wasn't. He was. No, he wasn't him. some crazy cult guy who bathed in blood or anything. So, yeah, he definitely uh-huh. tweaked up. He, he was more your mad science. Guy. Not my brother, blood. Yeah, he was more mad scientist. Yeah, he was like. Not, not and he sounded like Bender. <laughs> hey guys, kiss my ass. <laughs> yeah, he was like, kiss my shiny metal ass, Titans. Yeah. Now we're coming to the end of World War One. So basically, like now we're getting to that period where heaven forbid, actual comic books started being published. So I guess in some ways this is a nod to that because, you know, if you're thinking about, you know, towards the, the end of World War One, you know, we're, we're almost we're almost to, you know, 1938, you know. I mean, I guess it's a decade away, but, you know, we're, they're talking we're, about... We're tapping on the golden age, yeah. Yeah, I mean, we're we're almost there, you know. We're, we're, we're seeing a picture of Dr. Occult, who is also a, a Siegel and Schuster creation for DC Comics, and then they're also talking about 1929 depression and all that kind of stuff. And then, you know, while the depression, while the Great Depression and Dr. Occult were getting jiggy with it, you know, Abin Sewer was uh, rocking the spaceways and hanging out and everything. And so they're just kind of chronicling, like, he did do some really cool shit before he got fucked up and crashed on Earth. Yeah, he was Hal Jordan before Hal Jordan was Hal Jordan, yeah. Yes, yes. And and basically here, there's a lot more detail of the Green Lantern Corps, 3,600 members, and they each get their own space sector, and how, you know, Abin Sur was, you know, part of Earth's space sector. Our patience is running thin, and you have not yet produced the boy. 
And then now this is probably going to be the most familiar to everybody. This is a double page spread. This is the John Byrne style, you know, because obviously he was the one reinventing Superman. But this is the John Byrne style Krypton. Whipped cream forearms. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. With the whipped cream forearms, you know, the kind of Kryptonian garb. I mean, basically the idea was that this was a very sterile society, you know, at least in John Byrne's reimagining. So you notice they don't actually have any facial hair. They don't actually have any hair on display, you know, like even Jarrell's head is covered up. And, and Lara, while she has a very regal and beautiful looking headdress, she does not have flowing hair either. And then, of course, you know, one of my favorite nods in the new movie, you see him off to the right here, is Keelix, just hanging out by the birthing matrix. Yo, what's up? I'm Keelix the robot, you know? Yeah, I mean, and then, and then of course, they chronicle, you know, the destruction of Krypton on the, the you know, the, the right half of the... Uh, Okay. A random, like, I guess, design nod. You've been collecting superpowers lately, right? Yeah. Actually, you know, now that you mentioned that, actually, I kind of went insane. Like, I've actually, I have the whole collection now. Oh, really? So. Have, you, have you noticed how uh, Clark's escape pod kind of looks like Delta Probe 1? Yeah, yeah, I could see that. I mean, the way the way that it's kind of round and everything, you know, kind of, you know, it has that kind of yellow tone to it and everything. Yeah. I could totally see that. Yeah, just a random little nod I saw. Oh, that was kind of cool. What do you what, what are your thoughts on this, Mike? Because I, I imagine you've never read much of the John Byrne comics or anything like that. I mean, I know you're kind of more used to the whole, you know, Brainiac comes from Krypton and kind of some of the animated series looks and stuff. Like, do you have any thoughts on kind of sterile uh, world of Krypton, John Byrne Krypton, the or first, anything yeah, like that? Yeah, like I've read Man of Steel, like the first six issues, and like. Hmm. Like, uh, yeah, the first time I read that, I was kind of like, well, this is kind of odd. It's like they're all like, you know, I like when like Jor-El like shows Lara like pictures of like what oh, life yeah, yeah. is like she, on Earth. And she's like, oh, my God, they don't have any clothes on and stuff. You know? <laughs> yeah, it's like, oh, my God, hairy chest. Yeah, Lara would like flip her shit out when me and Tony went and worked the fields and stuff. <laughs> it's so hairy. <laughs> It, it was a it was a nice take on it. Like, did you it, did you like the reimagining? Because it was it was kind of a reboot. So yeah, no, this was totally a reboot. I mean, you know that that whole idea that they were kind of sterile and that you know they had genetic birthing matrixes and all this kind of stuff. I mean, I remember even at some point John Byrne was really pushing for Lara to be the one in the spacecraft and for her to give birth once she crashed. And DC was kind of like, no. But, I mean, he was really pushing for, for you know, changing things up, you know. So. What, what was, like, Kal-El going to, like, shoot out of the spacecraft when, like, the Kents, like, open the door? Like, phew! It's good! Yeah. I, I, I just get this, this vision of, like, you know, the way Lois looked in childbirth and some of those alternate Armageddon. Yeah, well, yeah, uh, yeah. You know, just, just I, I, I get this image of John Byrne drawing, like, this broken woman who is, yeah, you know, for, like, the be like, I'm going to die, raise my baby. Yeah, you know? pull the heartstrings a little bit, yeah. Yeah, that, that's kind of the vibe I was getting when I read some of the interviews that said that. So I guess we'll we'll, we'll turn the page here. Um, and we've got, obviously, on this page, uh, you know, more New Teen Titans backstory. You know, the Vegan Star System, basically. You've got more Tamaranian stuff. So for all those uh, Starfire haters out there, you can just ignore this page, I suppose. I, but, I, I will uh, mention, Derek, uh, I should uh, point out, for the people who are wondering why they keep mentioning the Teen Titans so much, 
this was during the 80s, and at this point, the Teen Titans were actually almost rivaling the X-Men as far as sales. The Teen Titans well, yeah, they, they, yeah. They were, they, it was a number one title. I mean, like, Teen Titans and Legion of Superheroes were, like, the two biggest DC franchises. When they did this reboot, those were the franchises they changed the least. Like, you know how, like, now they do the New 52, and the franchises they changed the least were Batman and Green Lantern, because those were the titles that were selling the yeah. best? Well, in this time, when they did the Crisis on Infinite Earth reboot, the two titles that were selling like gangbusters were New Teen Titans and Legion of Superheroes, yeah, and I those were the ones they tried to cha- they they tried to change the least. It was like Legion eventually got rebooted once its sales started tanking. Do you know yeah, what I mean? Yeah, but, I just want to mention that because I'm sure a lot of people are like, why do they keep mentioning all this fucking Teen Titans history? I'm like, no, they had to because they're like, kids, it's not changing. We're good. Don't worry about it. You know. Yeah, well, I mean, I think also, you know, the idea that the Citadel, you know, and, and, and the whole, you know, Tamaranian, the fact that there are other alien universes and stuff, and it also ties into the idea of, oh, hey, by the way, while all these wars were going on between the Citadel and Tamaran and all this other stuff, and it will also reflect later in, you know, <laughs> present-day Earth comics, oh, by the way, Kal-El's, like, flying right by them. They're, like, you know, bombarding each other. <laughs> it's, like, it's like, in the end of DC Universe 1, it's like, for further adventures of the Teen Titans, check out Teen Titans comics. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Did you know that, that you can follow the continuing adventures of the new Teen Titans in the new Teen Titans comics. But yeah, I mean, they're, they're basically having Kal-El fly by all these alien planets. So like, basically it's kind of like, Oh, not only did he fly by Tamaran and, and the Citadel, but they're like, Oh, Hey, he flew by Thanagar, which is of course tied to Hawkman. He flew by Ran, which is tied to Adam strange. He flew by the rings of Saturn, which is tied to gem, which is like one of the worst fucking comics I've ever fucking read. And you know, what's funny about that is I actually never had read that comic book ever. And then I bought the DC universe classics gem figure. And I was like, you know, I should really fucking read this this mini series because it's ridiculous. Why did I buy this action figure if I've never read the comics? And so I read it, and man, horrible. It was pretty bad. It was pretty terrible. Superman appears, which is like saving grace, but he kind of acts like uh, like Frank Miller Superman almost, you know. But um, but whatever. I mean, it's yeah, it's basically like I, I don't know if you know all the backstory behind this, but Jem was like supposed to be like. Martian Manhunter Jr. kind of, but oh, really? eventually, I thought it was yeah, to be kind of like fucking a bad uh, John Carter from Mars ripoff. <laughs> See, that's that's what ended up happening. I think like originally he was supposed to be you know uh, you know Gem son of Mars, but it got changed to Gem son of Saturn because I guess the Justice League guys had this big plan for Martian Manhunter's comeback or something in Justice League, so then it got sort of tweaked. But if you notice, like Gem kind of has all the same powers. Is yeah, yeah. Like it's telepathy and all this other kind of stuff. So anyway, but, hey, uh, she's still playing her Wii U. Damn it! <laughs> yeah, yeah. Harbinger is still playing her Wii U. She's texting and recording everything, sending it to the monitor. She's like, "Yo, hashtag Adolf Hitler is invading Poland," you know, or whatever. Because <laughs> if we go down and see, you know, we we clearly see, uh, you know, Hitler's on the rise here, and we're we're slowly going into World War Two. And, and, you know, they're basically talking about the Second World War here. And then this is where basically all the superhero stuff, like, really busts the fuck out. Because you've got, uh, you know, now we're turning the page here. And um, I guess you've got uh, the Crimson Avenger, which was the guy that you and um, 
and Justin and Dextra weren't sure who he was when you watched the, that little piggy or whatever. I think yeah. you all thought he was like the Phantom Stranger or something. Yeah. But like the Crimson Avenger, I guess technically, like would be like in this new, re, you know, the the kind of new DC universe post crisis would kind of be the first real costume dude. I mean, he's almost kind of like he's almost kind of like a nod to Green Hornet in a way, you know, and stuff like that. And then you've got, you know, Zatara's off to the left. Mandrake! No, I'm just kidding. Yeah, I know, Mandrake, uh, right? Man. But anyway, you got Zatara Zatanna, and you've got uh, Hop Harrigan, who has the greatest movie serial ever. No. But yeah, you got Hop Harrigan on the right, you know, flying planes and everything. And then uh, you got the Sandman, and you got Dollman. So, you know, it's like the, you're starting to see all these Golden Age heroes on the scene and everything and then i guess we turn to the next page and you know they're still talking about you know world war ii stuff and nazi tyranny and people that are gonna you know join up with the allies and everything like that and so you've got you got steel the indestructible man who is not to be confused with the steel who uh appeared in the reign of the superman this is the first guy um who eventually killed that horrible shack movie yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, this is not the steel we're talking about. This is, uh, I guess, maybe more fans, you know, modern fans would know him as, like, Commander Steel or something like that. You know, they try to change his name up to erase the shame that is Steel, I guess. Yeah. But, yeah, I mean, you know, it, this is this is Hank Haywood. You know what's interesting is um, in Earth 2, like the, the new 52 version of it or whatever, and I just point this out because I find it more fascinating than other stuff, they did shoot him with the Ethno Switch Ray, in the new 52, but Hank Haywood is actually an American, but he's Filipino, which I thought was really interesting because I've never seen like a Filipino character in comics like ever. It feels like so I was like, oh, that's kind of cool. And if so, so, probably not done well, yeah. Yeah, I mean, if, if there is one, you know, I apologize because I don't, I don't know where and when that character appeared, but that was like the first time I noticed character like that which i thought you know for a change was kind of cool like i don't know sometimes i feel like they change and i'm like well but you got plenty of you know characters that have that you know particular ethnicity or whatever but in this case i was like oh wow like you know i'd never you know sometimes when i see stuff like that like when i'm reading like i read all-star western and one of the backup stories was talking about all the different native american tribes and i'm actually from the chickasaw tribe and in that all-star Western backup, it was like the first time I had ever heard my tribe mentioned like in comics, like ever. So I was just kind of like, Oh, that's kind of neat. Like they, at least they, you know, I know it was more in a historical capacity, yeah, than kinda, yeah, you personally, but it was yeah. just, yeah. but it was just kind of like, Oh, Hey, that's, that's pretty sweet. Like I'd never ever heard anybody mention them, you know, in, in uh, popular fiction at all. So anyway, yeah, and here uh, on the we go full on golden age. Yeah, totally, totally. This is this is one of your favorite characters, so why don't you take it away, Tony Jackson? Jay Garrick is the first Flash, and he was pretty damn big deal because he had a very cool power at the time. He was really fast, and he like could really, really you know run fast. I know it sounds silly now, but at the time, this is a really cool idea. And he debuted. He debuted in the Golden Age. This is the original Flash, the guy with like you know the Mercury helmet. And he's still active now. He's still in the uh, JSA. And it's really cool to have that lineage from this guy who first debuted fighting against, you know, Nazis in the World War II and all that stuff. So, yeah, seeing him down the bottom running, it kind of like, you know, brings a like, nice little warm tickle to my heart. It's like, yeah, Jay Garrick. Yeah, I guess this is kind of the beginning of the idea that with the 
the convergence of the multiverse into like one universe that they were going to start focusing on legacy heroes, you know, that there was going to be the first Flash who was during, you know, the early days of the Golden Age, which would be, you know, around the World War II era. And then you would get, you know, the Silver Age Flash and the Modern Age Flash and things like that. So, you know, and then, of course, when we turn the page, you're going to see all these Golden Age characters. I mean, this is basically the beginning of the birth of the JSA, you know, you, you tie back to, you know, all the Egyptian history, you know, that we had covered, you know, previously where, you know, they're talking about hat set and, you know, reincarnation and all this kind of stuff for Hawkman and Hawkwoman. And so you see both of them. And what are your characters? The Spectre. The yeah. Spectre's coming up. So we got uh, Jim Corrigan and everything. And so they're, they're talking about reincarnation and rebirth being a reoccurring theme. So, you know, not only are they kind of suggesting, hey, Hawkman and Hawkgirl have a lot to do with uh, reincarnation, but, you know, you've got Jim Corrigan, you know, getting croaked and then coming back as basically <laughs> the, the, the wrath of God, you know, and stuff like that. And then you got, you know, Johnny Thunder with the Mystic Thunderbolt. You got Rex Tyler as Our Man. And then we've got uh, some of the quality guys. So you got Black Condor. We got the original Adam, the, you know, Dr. Fate, which also ties back to the Egyptian history that they were covering before with the Lords of Chaos and Order. And then also the the history about the Starheart and how it crashed in Tibet and everything. So eventually Alan Scott finds, you know, the lamp that was created out of that rock and he becomes the first original Green Lantern. Um, by the way, just for uh, listeners, I do like legacy characters a lot. They're really cool. But you really don't have to read the 90s Black Condor. You, you're you're fine. <laughs> <laughs> It's funny, they, I remember when they had that version of Black Condor join the Justice League, and I was kind of like, oh, crap, like, now we're getting, like, you know, Z-list heroes to, uh, to join us. I mean, I was all excited, because I really like I really liked the Ray, and they're both quality characters, but I was still in that, you know, oh, Joe Quesada redesigned the Ray, it looks cool, you know, or whatever, it yeah. looks 90s. You know, and I was I was kind of excited that the Ray was going to join the team. And you know me, I like Maxima, even though she's probably a Z-list character, too. But I was like, hey, Maxima's on the team, you know, uh, uh, the Ray's on the team. And then all of a sudden it was like, and Black Condor. And I'm like, what? And Agent Liberty. And I'm like, what? The fuck? That's the Justice League? Yeah, anyway. Yeah. But yeah, so, anyhow. And now we actually go into full-on JSA fucking territory. Yeah, yeah. Now now it's all the, the original uh, guys that joined up in the All-Star Comics and stuff. And, you know, luckily now they can negate the whole Wonder Woman was their secretary thing because there is no Golden Age Wonder Woman, so all feminists across the world can breathe a sigh of relief that Wonder Woman wasn't sitting there doing dictation. She wasn't there. She didn't exist. You're good. <laughs> she didn't exist. You're cool. But yeah, the, basically the Justice Society of America are kind of all these guys we had mentioned before. Sandman, Spectre, The Flash, Jay Garrick, Alan Scott, Green Lantern, Hawkman, The Atom, Our Man, and Dr. Fate. And then, of course, now, now they kind of go into the whole, you know, FDR kind of is is authorizing these masked men to, to come together as the Justice Society. And we have and, more uh, legacy course, characters, yeah. Yeah, so we've got we've got Starman, and then we got Doctor Midnight also kind of coming in eventually to that mix. And here we get into some fun stuff. These this is these are the bad guys. These yeah. are basically all the the super villains and stuff. Now this this is going to be interesting because I want to hear Mike's reaction to this because most people think of uh, Sportsmaster as a joke. 
And I know he was all extremed up for Young Justice. Oh, it had to be you. Beggars can't be choosers, little girl. Just so you know, Michael, uh, we're looking at a, a single-page spread of the Injustice Gang of America. And, of course, they are led by the wizard, um, who is in the center with his wand and everything. And that's not to be confused with the uh, <sighs> the wizard from, uh, well, the weather wizard, or uh, I guess if you're thinking of the wizard from uh, the Fantastic Four Marvel comics. Now, this is the DC Comics wizard from, you know, the uh, the original kind of Justice Society era. And then we've got Per Degaton, and we've got the, the Gambler, and Vandal Savage. And then uh, we've got Harlequin, who is not yes. the fucking... Um, Stupid Bruce Tim Harlequin, but this is the uh, this is the hot chick who married Alan Scott and had some babies with him named Obsidian and Jade. For fans of Infinity Incorporated or any other and also, uh, she's, places, uh, she's not Duala Dent either. Yeah, yeah, she's she's the original. I think her name was like Molly something or other, but yeah, that's Alan Scott's wife or a wife to be. You know, kind of like his Catwoman, I guess. You know, his Diamondback, his. Uh, Maxima, his, you know, so on and so forth. Yeah, I the Fiddler, I think, right? Yeah, the Fiddler. And then I guess you go off to uh, next to the Gambler and Perdegaton. That is Huntress. So Huntress and Sportsmaster. So tying back into to me wanting to ask Mike, so hey, check out Huntress and Sportsmaster, Mike. <laughs> <laughs> I know them from Young Justice. See, but no, no. I mean, do you do you literally go like, who's this lame-o? Or well, like, I, I know I've seen Sportsmaster before on like Brave and the Bold and stuff. So okay. I knew okay. I knew he had some kind of you know lame-o like Golden Age costume or something, you know. But you know, it's it's fine. You know, it's not. I, yeah. I'm not going to go like, oh my god, what have you? <laughs> oh, and don't, don't forget at the bottom. We've got Jack Frost and uh, the Shadow Thief. Uh, that's actually the sh- that's the that's the shade and icicle. Oh, ah, yeah. okay, close, close. Yeah, thought that was Jack Frost. The guy, the guy, who, the gambler is that the guy with the white mustache and goatee? Yes, the guy he who looks, looks like, like a, a guy. Gambler. Yes, yeah, he, he, he looks like a guy who says "suh." Is he a guy? Who <laughs> yes, says, uh? yes, yes, yes. He probably. Like, does. I'm sure. I'm sure he has said "suh." Uh, and then I guess I guess the the two guys we've neglected to mention in our whole Injustice Gang cadre is um you got Brainwave and then uh Solomon Grundy. So Yeah, well Solomon but, Grundy doesn't wear pants. <laughs> yeah. I just yeah. want some pants. Solomon pants. Grundy wants pants too. <laughs> oh wait, that's Brainiac. Oh. Uh, but, uh, yeah, but yeah. For for a golden age lineup, that's actually you know pretty. You know, no, no, these guys. I just, I just noticed that Sportsmaster's wearing shorts. <laughs> yes, he is wearing shorts. I'm, I, that's what I'm saying. Like I know, I know. That's that's why to me, like that that I I'm expecting like somebody says Sportsmaster to me. I'm expecting a guy with a baseball bat who looks kind of like Casey Jones, who uh, is wearing uh, tennis shorts, and instead I get extreme and, young and, justice. And he's also wearing a. Uh... Uh shit. What's the name of that hat? Oh, um crap. Yeah. <laughs> I I I, yeah, a I don't know. Player hat. Yeah. yeah. Like a tennis like visor or something. Yeah, visor, yeah, visor, yeah. He's uh, got a visor on his And head what is for... is that like a hunting like like vest or something he's wearing? I would think it's just... like a like a hockey or a umpire yeah, vest. Yeah. Like it's like some kind of like like sports vest or something, yeah. protection gear or something. <laughs> or a yeah. rotation device or something. I, I will correct Mike on one thing. He's not just wearing shorts. He's wearing gym shorts. <laughs> yeah, the white stripe. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> awesome. So this is going to be uh, really tough, but let's turn. And yeah. this is a double-page spread. This is the All-Star Squadron. This is probably, like, my favorite image in the whole damn book. Yeah, remember earlier we were talking about how George Perez can draw, like, teams and yeah. you know, tell everybody? This is a perfect fucking example. Yeah, this is this is the this is the shiznit. Like this is great. This is basically every member of the All Star Squadron. Wow. Yeah. I mean, it's just and the way it's designed is you know in the background you know you kind of see the whole. It's kind of like it, it's basically setting up Pearl Harbor. You see the ships and the planes being you know bombing the ships and all this kind of stuff. And then uh, you know in the center of that you see a big V you know for victory and all the members of the all-star squadron are on either side of the V, you know, and, and basically it was every, every golden age superhero yeah. that was in existence was is that just the original, is that the original Mr. Terrific under vigilante there? Mm, wait, see. under, vigilante. yes, yes, okay, that is the I original. See fair, I see fair play <laughs> yeah. on his chest. Yeah, that is, that is Terry like, yeah. Sloan. So yeah, yeah, that is the original. And Mr. you Terrific. got like guys like Robot Man, yeah, um, Robot Man, the original Robot Man. You got, like, um, who else we got? I'm, not, I'm just looking at this. This is so great. Uh, Human Bomb. <laughs> Human Bomb, TNT, and Dynamite. Yeah. Uh, I'm, uh, I'll try and see if I – let's see. Who haven't we – the Crimson Avenger. Like, the, basically, like, like anybody who was okay to be in the Seven Soldiers of Victory showed up. Because it's like originally Green Arrow was one of the Seven Soldiers of Victory and Speedy. But since this is the, you know, the, the newly invented universe, it's like the Seven Soldiers of Victory, the lineup had to change just a little bit because they couldn't include Green Arrow and Speedy and, and stuff and like let's, that. Let's give a little bit of love to Sprang and, and Plastic Man is right there. Yep, yep. Is that, who's the guy who looks exactly like the spirit? Like on the upper That row, is right? let's see. I is that the Crimson Avenger? Or is that the Oh no 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 no. No 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 no. That's that that guy is a clone of the spirit. His name is Midnight. And uh, basically when I'm trying to think I don't know how it went exactly, but I think somewhere along the way they the guy who made the spirit, I think, had to stop doing the spirit. And then he came to D.C. for a little while and made this guy named Midnight, who was basically the fucking spirit. And then eventually he could do the spirit again. And then the Midnight stories just disappeared. I remember right Midnight from a who's who because his whole thing was he would fight crime at midnight. He would go out after midnight. So, yeah, but that's that's who that is. <laughs> nice. So. Yeah, but there's just tons of guys. I mean, I was going to try and be like a big pimp daddy and name everybody, but you know what? There's too many guys. Too many, yeah. Like, like they're, they're all here. So. I didn't know Plastic Man was supposed to be around at this like time. Like, what, How did they reconcile that? I think I think because Plastic Man, like the nature of who he is, like I, I hate to bring him up during this podcast, but I think he, he, in terms of age, he was kind of like Wolverine because of the accident that happened to him. So it's like he might be, you know, seventy five years old or something. Well, yeah, you know, not only that, but like the 80s, comic at the time was really like, popular. But like he just. You know, he did not age or whatever. You know, like so. I don't. I don't think that ever affected. And and I think a lot of times, like because he was a quality character originally. I think it, it just basically like because that that's the famous story about elongated man. Where like it's like why did they even make elongated man? And it's just because they didn't. <laughs> they didn't. Well, they didn't realize they owned plastic man. The funny part was <laughs> that's funny. They had bought all the quality characters. 
you know, like Uncle Sam, like you see in here, or Doll Man, or, you know, the Ray, like all these guys were quality characters, the Human Bomb, you know, Phantom Lady and stuff like that. But, you know, included in that purchase, you know, when, when quality went out of business and sold off their, their properties to DC was Plastic Man. But I think wh- whoever invented Elongated Man at the time, it was like, oh, yeah, we need a Plastic Man character. And then they just didn't realize they already had Plastic Man. Yeah. yeah. So. So anyway, Chief, I... Oh, just a second, Chief. Hi, I'm Plastic Man. Welcome to the show. For those of you who don't know, this is my show. I am a superhero and quite possibly the best superhero there is. For the next page, I just want to do a quick introduction because it's one of my favorite old-timey characters. All I have to say is Hawka! Definitely, Hawka. These are the Blackhawks. For me, uh, a lot like I was talking about, like, my background, like, the Chickasaw thing and everything, you know, eventually, like, in this new history, um, you know, Blackhawk, his name is uh, Janos Proska, and uh, he's supposed to be from Poland. So, or he's a Polish-American, I guess, is the best way to describe it. And uh, so since my mom uh, was, was Polish, you know, and I am Polish, like, this has always been a standout character for me. I guess some interesting stuff about... Black Hawk is that this was also a buy from Quality Comics. So these were Quality Comics characters that eventually were bought up by DC. And, you know, these were all kind of pilots of various international backgrounds, you know. Yeah, it was kind of like... Howling Commandos and Planes. Yeah, yeah, that's a, that's a great way to describe it. I mean, you know, hopefully if, if, if they're not following DC, you know, they're following Marvel, but that's a great way to, that's a great comparison, I think. Now, it's the Blackhawks who fight for liberty and freedom. I will return to them. The other thing that was interesting was, I think the reason why these guys have had ongoing comics for so long is because Steven Spielberg at one point was kind of interested in making a movie about them. You know, probably because he liked their World War II era or the adventure aspect to it or whatever. So popular, they even showed up in Kingdom Come. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, they were they were in Kingdom Come. They were in the New Frontier, if you remember that. I mean, they were in they were in the Justice League cartoons and stuff. So, uh, I, I there was even a. It was funny because there was even a. Um, I guess it's pre New Fifty Two, so I can't really say it's a a recent Batman story. But there was a semi recent Batman story where they basically made it like uh, Janos Proska didn't actually die. Like there was this old dude like hanging out with Batman, and by the end of it, you find out like. He was the original Blackhawk, and him and Batman had a team up and everything. So I thought that was actually pretty, pretty sweet. Kind of that great ghost episode. Yeah, yeah, kind of like that. I mean, he was a little more curmudgeon-y, but yeah. yeah. I mean, next next page is a feel-good page. Well, you know, it. it oh, it, I have it, no hate on it. I mean, it is a good page. It's 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 uh you know Sergeant Rock. It's uh, uh do you know at one point they wanted fucking Arnold Schwarzenegger to play Sergeant <laughs> fucking Rock? <laughs> the most like, American soldier. Seriously? Like can you just can you just see how horrible that I mean I I just I yeah, I what the fuck? Like seriously. Yes, anyway, I am all that, American Joe Sergeant Rock. I, I would pick Chet Morris. You Germans, you're going down. It's just like what? I hate the Nazis and their their Austrian allies. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I know. It's just like what? I don't know. I don't know who came up with that, but they're fucking morons. Anyway, but yeah, we got 
you know, basically all these kind of allied troop images. In the silhouette, you, of course, can see Sergeant Rock's entire company, you know, all these different guys in the background and stuff like that. And Sergeant Rock was the Howling Commandos of Easy Company, so... Yeah, 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 they were the straight-up, yeah, Howling Commandos. And then, you know, now we're, we're finally at that last page. So, um, you know, the last page of the first issue here, you know, this is kind of bringing the whole uh, World War II to a close. But, yeah, on the left side, we've got the Freedom Fighters, which are basically the characters I was kind of explaining to you about. These were all the quality comics characters that were bought up by DC eventually. But, you know, you've got the Freedom Fighters, which are like Uncle Sam and the Ray and Black Condor, Firebrand, uh, Human Bomb. Phantom Lady and Dollman and stuff. And then I guess to the to the right, you know, we've got the monitors, you know, little observing satellite or whatever, which we assume uh, Harbinger is still pimping out her Twitters and texts and <laughs> Facebooks and, that and Wii U and is fucking amazing. <laughs> on the Wii U, yeah, she's 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 pimping all the DC history out through all those social mediums to uh, the rest of the universe. But yeah, that, that kind of wraps up the whole first issue. And then I, I guess, you know, the next time you hear this podcast, we'll be going into detail about the second issue, page by page, you know, kind of like this whole segment promises. But yeah, I guess, uh, do we have any closing thoughts? Like, does anybody want to want to say anything about kind of Perez or the history of the DC universe in general? Or did you learn anything new? You know, um, that I'll, I'll go first real quick, just because I think Mike probably have something more substantial to say i think it's really nice how they didn't just do the dc universe history they went all the way fucking back and that's that's a really nice thing they're like you know they're establishing a mythos it's not just the comics we published since 1930 it's like yeah we published comics from other eras in later times but all these comics tie into a big huge like epic continuity there's there's big tapestry of, of different characters and, and timelines and history, yeah. Yeah, it's, one of the things awesome. I love is world build, world building, and they really did build a really good world with just, you know, it wasn't simple, but it was very concise. It was like, here's this, here's this, here's this. Now you see where this is going, you know. It, it, was, it was like a really good, uh, yeah, I, I'm, I mean, the guys who worked on this are obviously incredibly talented, and, you know, like I said, I cannot talk enough about Perez's artwork, but this is, yeah, I mean, like, you can read this as somebody who knows shit about DC Universe, and after you read this, you're like, oh, I got a pretty good damn grasp about this, you know? You know? Yeah, it's good good fundamental understanding of, of how the history of the universe went, yeah. And I, I think really essential for people when they, they reboot their universes, like, I wish there was more stuff like this when people would you know, do that. Like, you know, in terms of the New 52, I wish somebody had sit down and thought of some of this yeah, stuff. Yeah, you have before. your Bible in your I mean, office, it, but give us the Bible so we can read it, yeah. Yeah, it wasn't it wasn't perfect or anything. I mean, eventually, you know, they, they made retcons and changes that kind of goofed up the Legion and Hawkman and all these other guys, but, you know, at the time, like, this is kind of <laughs> what they thought they were sticking to, and, and, and at least it was a good basis for, for anybody who was kind of like, hey, what exactly is the status quo of this new world, you know? Yeah, I've never been opposed to the uh, concept of tell me a story, I'll listen. How about you, Mike? Any any uh, thoughts, final parting words on the uh, history of the DC Universe book one? Yeah, it was, it was really cool. It seems like the sort of book I would have, like, eaten up if I, I was a little younger. Like, like, I love all the history books and, like, the profile books and stuff like that. And, yeah, you know, yeah. 
I love George Perez's art, obviously, and, you know, this is a gorgeous-looking book. So, yeah, I really enjoyed reading this. Cool. Cool. All right, guys. Well, uh, uh, thanks to all the listeners for listening. Again, uh, you know, I, I pretty much screw up uh, uh, Jan's name uh, for the last six months, so I'm going <laughs> to give a shout-out to Jan Christofferson and say his name correctly this time because he always likes us on Facebook. Um, check out our buddy Boove's blogs, um, and he is also a big fan of ours. He's liking us on Facebook all the time. Um, you know, if you have any comments, questions, or concerns, um, you can feel free to email us at fanholspodcast at gmail.com. And also keep in mind, like the next time you hear this podcast, we'll be covering book two. Um, please, you know, send feedback, send comments, tell us what you think. Did you like page by page? Did you enjoy listening to it? Um, if it's something you want us to do in the future with different books, um, we, we have some plans um, already pre down the line. But if there's anything that you think you'd like to hear us do, you know, maybe on, you know, Marvel or, you know, the history of Marvel or anything like that, let us know. And um, until then, um, oh, wait, I guess we should do awesome things. I was about to say, are we going to do awesome things this week? <laughs> yeah, 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 we should totally do awesome things. I'm, I'm, I'm not on the ball. But, um, yeah, okay, Tony, What, what? Uh, I guess we should go into awesome things real quick. What's your awesome thing of the week, Tony? Um, I'll be really quick and succinct. Um, Mike actually may agree with me. But seriously, guys, if you're a Transformer fan, please, please check out more of the BCI from IDW. It's a great, great comic. They just released 18 as far as how we're recording right now. Great series, great characters, great plotting, great pay, everything you want in a good comic. Not just a Transformers comic, but in a good science fiction comic. If you haven't read it, please read it. If you don't even like Transformers, you'll like the characters. They're not just robots. They're really good characters, so totally pick it up. Yeah, it really down, is. have a nice... Nice hot cup of oil. Read some more than this. Yeah. <laughs> it really is one of those books. That it's not just a good like Transformers book. It's like a good comic book. So yeah, definitely. How about you, Mike? You got anything on tap for awesome thing of the week? Um, I just wanted to mention that like two of my favorite cartoons of all time are back with new episodes of Venture Brothers and Futurama. So I'm I'm glad. Yeah, we get to enjoy a new season of those, and this is the last season for Futurama, and um, I'm, I'm glad they're going out on a high note, because I really don't think, like, they've weakened it all, like, since they've come back, unlike, like, say, Family Guy or whatever, so, you know, I think they're still going strong, so. Um, yeah, the two-episode premiere was really solid, really good stuff. Yeah, both episodes were really good, yeah, and, and Venture Brothers so far has been great, too, so, and yeah. it, that's not canceled, or, like, they're not ending that yet, but I'm sure, like, after this season and we'll have to wait another, like, two years for the next one. I know, one. gosh. I hope they don't split up the season again. That will really piss me off. Yeah. But, yeah, I'm really happy both. Now that, like, I guess, like, like all the drama stuff is, like, done for now, like Walking Dead and Game of Thrones, it's, like, now comedy stuff i got to keep up with, so. <laughs> now have <Nice>. fun. <laughs> yeah. So. Nice. Okay. It's funny. It's funny. I'm 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 very pleased that Venture Brothers is uh, back as of this recording and everything like that. But it's funny that you mentioned like you're all done with your dramas because I feel like now I'm like starting up some of my dramas again because I'm yeah. like, yeah, man, this is this is gonna be my awesome thing. But basically, I was like, uh, I watched the uh, the 
premiere and then the follow-up episode of uh, Magic City. So that's back on. So I'm like, yeah, Magic City's back. And then uh, I think probably as we're taping this, but I'm still going to pimp it anyway because it's a good fucking show and I know it's not going to let me down. Uh, new episodes of Copper from uh, the BBC America are coming on as of this recording. So those are both kick-ass and, and not funny at all. They're like super heavy dramas, <laughs> but man, I, I love them. dramas. So, yeah, yeah, so definitely. All right, cool. So I guess I guess that will wrap up our awesome things segment. And then, of course, you know, I did my whole diatribe on where you can contact us and all that kind of stuff. So um, until the next time, this is going to be Derek Derek WC signing off. And I'm Mike. And this is Tony. And sometimes I feel like I live in a world made of cardboard. But you can take it, can't you, big man? Let's see how tough you really are. I'm going wow. to change my last name to Sportsmaster. <laughs> Mike, Mike Sportsmaster. That's I'm just going to grow, grow a white goatee and run around saying, Suh. Suh. You, <laughs> are you a gambling man, Suh? Because that happens to be my speciality. Peace. Hey, I'm just I'm just gonna stop real quick and check. Do you hear the dog? Yeah, a little bit. Yeah, faintly. Uh, okay. Hang on. I'll be right back. <laughs> He's like, "How dare you stop me from chewing on delicious internet?" Games? Yeah, I know. I know. Totally. <laughs> Hang on.